0: Hello and welcome to Freedom of Species. Freedom of Species is 3CR's animal advocacy program. I'm Kate Elliott. Several weeks ago, we broadcast a talk that Sandra Higgins presented at this year's Irish Vegan Festival, and around about the same time, I did conduct an interview with Sandra, and that's what we'll be hearing on today's program. Sandra Higgins is the founder and director of Eden Farmed Animal Sanctuary in Ireland, She's also the woman behind the largest global vegan advertising campaign under the banner Go Vegan World. And as a psychologist, she is the director of the Compassion Foundation of Ireland. So there was a lot to cover in the interview, but I think what stuck with me most was Sandra's clarity of purpose. And I think this was reflected in the title of the presentation that we played on the show. It was titled What Other Animals Need From Us. And this seems to really underpin everything that Sandra puts her mind and effort behind. I started off by asking Sandra for an overview of her various roles, from managing the animal sanctuary to managing a global vegan advertising campaign and as a practicing psychologist and how they all intersect with each other.
1: Eden is really the backbone of everything I do. So I I opened Eden in 2008. It was the first uh, vegan sanctuary in, in Ireland and the first vegan sanctuary specialising in farmed animals. So I, I set it up quite by accident. I had a psychology practice. Um, I, I never had any intention of doing this. And I, I got two orphaned lambs to care for. And just from what I learned from them and subsequently uh, the first chickens we rescued it, it opened my eyes and just revolutionised my life really. So the, most of my time goes to into managing and caring for the animals at Eden, and there was there was a, a hen here called Matilda, and she was the first one that I credit really. You know that first time that I saw her running towards me so excitedly with her head on one side and I could see her personality, her individuality, the fact that she stepped out from this other group of hens. I, I, I could see her as an individual and I could see the determination in her. And that was the first time that I saw her as a person rather than a chicken, a member of a species that I used to use. So I credit her really with giving me the motivation to decide that rescue is not enough. And this was in the very early days of, of my my learning as, as a vegan. Rescue is not enough. Vegan education is essential because I was putting huge resources and and i didn't have them you know i was running the sanctuary out of my my own money which the 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 busier the sanctuary got the less my capacity to, to to earn money was so i was putting huge resources and time and effort into looking after a small few animals whereas if i could help somebody else to learn what i had learned and they would go vegan they could prevent so many more animals being bred onto this planet in the first place so When Matilda died, tragically, I I, uh, had set up an animal rights and vegan education centre and I named that Matilda's Promise. And Go Vegan World is just one of the activities of that education centre. So it's very, it's big and and I'm glad to say that it's powerful and it's effective, but it is just one element of the education centre. And alongside all that is um, the Compassion Foundation, uh, which, my profession as a psychologist working in, in the, the field of clinical science. Um, I, I still have a very small clinical practice, just one afternoon a week, and I see some people in the animal rights movement who are trying to cope with the work that they're doing. And I I also use my uh, my clinical training, I think, number one, to work with the animals who come here who are, who are traumatised. And secondly, it very much informs how I work as a, as, a, as, a, as a vegan educator.
0: Can you clarify, when you first started the animal sanctuary, you weren't vegan, were you? Was it Matilda no. that opened your
1: eyes to that vegetarianism wasn't enough? She was definitely a very, very powerful force in that I suddenly saw personhood um, in all those chickens, I saw how how they suffer the, the dreadful illnesses that they that they have that are attributable to being selectively bred to lay eggs. So even on a sanctuary like ours, where we were giving them every possible care, they were prolapsing, they were dying of infection, and the rates of cancer were very high. And we, and we knew this because the more chickens we rescued. And they didn't look great, and we brought them to the vet, and we had them x-rayed. They had cancerous tumours as we as we were rescuing them. And the the, the sheep, the first sheep who were here, uh, when I first of all I saw that they could feel pain like like I could, and it wasn't that I didn't know this. It was just that. I hadn't let it into my conscious awareness. So I had not kept it unconscious so much as very subconscious. So at that time, you'd get a little prickle here and there that other animals, like farmed animals, can feel. But I wouldn't really let it surface into my conscious awareness. And so one of the sheep hurt his, his foot one day in our yard, and his leg trembled. And my first instinct was to, to give him a drink with sugar in it and a painkiller. And, you know, I got this... Light bulb moment that he's he he's, he's in pain here, and then I saw them jumping on their their four legs simultaneously, and I saw the huge amount of joy that they had in their lives. And even though I was vegetarian myself and not eating meat, I was still buying and cooking meat for everybody else. So there was no consistency in how I was thinking. When I saw this joy in those sheep, I saw that they really valued. Their lives for their own reasons and that eating them and killing them was a moral issue but that that was my that was as I first started to learn and then one night three goats arrived in our yard and they apparently belonged to a dairy very close to us so I went to visit that dairy and that was when I learned that we in order for us to have dairy we take the babies from from the mothers and it was a very well kept dairy, one of those ones that command a high price for their products, and they'd be in inverted commas humane uh, products. And I was absolutely astounded by it. there was no uh, no breaches of welfare legislation. There was no uh, no deliberate cruelty there was just the bewildered faces of these adult female goats who were bloody who had who had just given birth and then I was brought to a separate building where their daughters were drinking milk from rubber teats on a concrete wall and the people who owned the dairy said all all the males were killed this morning we don't feel very good about that and I left that dairy reeling And I said, oh, this is why vegans don't drink milk. And it was that flashbulb, lightbulb moment that made me go vegan. Mm.
0: We do talk about suffering and joy as far as the feelings of animals, but I'm just wondering with your background as a psychologist and specialising in trauma, do you recognise that with the animals that come to the sanctuary?
1: Yes, I do. I, I recognize a number of the, the the problems that I also see in, in humans. Uh, oppre- the effects of oppression, depression. I mean, I've rescued hens here and I've rescued them on bright, sunny days and they come out of those dreadful places and they can't even lift their heads. They're so downtrodden and depressed. Uh, sometimes we see problems with aggression, the feeling that there's never enough. So it doesn't matter how much space and how much food we give them initially, they still feel that there's competition for resources. And then we see the the victims of of terrible neglect and abuse and how terrified they are of everything, terrified of loud noises, terrified of us humans when we approach them. And I I see the same problems and I see that the same things that work in my psychology practice, working with trauma and depression and anxiety, work for them. So the approach that we would take here is keep everything very calm and peaceful, no sudden movements, no loud voices, and consistency. So there's consistent space, food, clean water, clean houses. Their their basic needs are met consistently. And then, just like my human clients I do not do the healing here. They do their own healing. They are absolutely responsible for the tremendous and courageous recovery that they make in their lives. We just, I just uh, set up Eden so that their ne- basic needs could be met. And uh, thankfully, I have the resources to do that. And after that, they take over and they're responsible for their recovery.
0: And importantly... Uh, the sanctuary is a true sanctuary. It's not open to the public.
1: Yes, that, that, that's correct. That's been an awful dilemma for me because I know that to visit a vegan sanctuary and see the relationship that we have with the animals and the relationship they have with each other and to hear their stories is a very powerful educational tool. But I've, when I had the sanctuary open to the public and the odd occasions that I still do have visitors here... Uh, a lot of the animals don't like it. Uh, we have to be very careful about disease control, particularly when there's something going on like the, the avian flu, which we had here earlier this year. Uh, the gates have to be closed behind them. I don't have time. And even when I have somebody helping me here, we don't have time. Every minute of our day is taking up, looking at, at looking after the basic needs of the animals here. And it's a peaceful beautiful sanctuary the minute you go through the gates of eden a beautiful peace descends on you because of the atmosphere that they have created out there for themselves and they need that for their lives when we bring outsiders in they're very suspicious especially anybody who's newly rescued and traumatized that they're they're terrorized by anybody coming in You know, even some of my best friends who will come here, and I'll say I'll give you a tour of the sanctuary. You can see them all looking up very suspiciously to see what's going to happen here. And on any day, we'll have a sick, or injured, or dying resident. And in terms of equality, if I was running a sanctuary here for victims of domestic abuse, or, or or war, victims of war, or any other kind of trauma we wouldn't open it as a visitor center. We wouldn't open it to the public. So I do my best to capture their lives um, through the the wonderful assistance I have of a, a photographer, Agatha Kishel and through the videos that we make here. So people can interact with them and they can come to our, we're in the process of building a vegan education center. So people can come to the center, but that allows them to interact in a very ethical way very deeply in the lives of the animals here without intruding on their home and their their peace and what they need for their healing so it's an eth- it has been an ethical dilemma for me and I've thought about it very deeply and that's where that's where I'm at in in my own conscience about about this issue at the moment Over seven and a
0: half million people tune into community radio stations around Australia each month. Just like you, they're tuning in to get diversity, alternatives, and to escape from the predictability of mainstream media. That's good morning from the Concrete Gang And we're getting stuck into the garden show Good afternoon and welcome to Ruminations here on 3CR Welcome to another edition of Great Voices, 3CR's classical vocal program Good morning and welcome to the Latin American Update program 8.55am Every day 3CR brings you current affairs, local music, gig guides, activist information and community views and voices Make sure you join us. Call 9419
1: 8377.
0: There's been an exponential growth in the number of animal sanctuaries. Do you think this will help with resting back what the true meaning of humane is from animal exploiting industries? We particularly hear so-called free-range animal producers who seem very fond of using or, more accurately, um, misusing the term humane.
1: When I first started Eden, I used to read about other sanctuaries and everything seemed to be, you know, the animals were rescued and then they lived happily ever after. And I wasn't seeing that here at Eden. And for a while I wondered, was I doing something wrong? Until I investigated and I realized that what I was seeing at Eden was directly attributable to those animals being bred to produce what we call food. So they're they're bred to have way more muscle than their joints and their bones are able to carry, than their hearts are and their internal organs are able to cope with. They're bred to overproduce eggs, which is associated with osteoporosis, heart disease, cancer, infection, uh, prolapse, egg binding, horrific, the horrific uh, problems that we see in the hens here. Cows are bred to produce way more milk than they would have in their natural state to feed their, their own calves. So humane treatment in a sanctuary means that you're constantly running after and trying to keep up with the problems that that they have here. So a lot of our work is is prevention, but you can't prevent everything. So, for example, with the hens, uh, they have implants to prevent them from laying eggs. So that's been wonderful. And even though it's very expensive and and it's invasive, it prevents so many problems that, that that they were suffering from later in their lives. I've heard you describe it as um, they're prisoners
0: of their own bodies.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And no amount of sanctuary will ever overcome that. Even with all the preventative care we have, the chickens here, they die at a fraction of their natural lifespan. And I can't think of anywhere apart from the few abolition sanctuaries on Earth where they would get better care than they get here at Eden. We, we cannot undo the dreadful violation that is breeding them into these selectively bred bodies to overproduce what we call food. That's okay. not to say that they don't have great fun and they, and they come here and they can recover so much of their psychology and their social life because they get a chance to choose who they want to be friends with. Um, they have so much more space than they, they would have had where we, where we took them from, and this is true of organic and free range farms as well as well as factory farms it 's absolutely when they come here uh, a lot of the time we wouldn 't be able to tell the difference by looking at them where they came from but you know they, I, I, there are some pictures um, on, certainly on my social media pages of of chickens who 've come here from free range farms, and they really their appearance is horrific, mm-hmm. but they sanctuary certainly gives them the opportunity to create to recover to a large extent and create a very good life for themselves and they live years longer than they would if they hadn't been rescued and for every individual who lives here that must be irreplaceable to have been lucky enough to have be the one who was rescued and have that home here but I think the recent um, ASA finding was so significant in terms of that word humane, because it found that the very notion of using other animals in the dairy industry means it's inhumane. Even with the best adherence to the highest welfare regulations, this is inhumane. Using other animals can never be referred to as humane. And the concept of sanctuary will hopefully only exist until the world is vegan. When the world is vegan, we won't need sanctuaries like Eden, Mm -hmm. because there 's a condescension to the notion of of humane there 's a condescension to the the notion that I have the power to create a home for them here, and I determine their their medical and their health needs, and I determine what they need, whereas sometimes when I step back and, and I let them teach me what they need, I find that they 're much wiser than me. so we had a hen here at Genevieve, we still have her she 's very old she 's about twelve. And she decided she didn't want to sleep in the sanctuary anymore. She wanted to sleep in the tree in the field next door, which freaked me out in case anybody would catch her. But I trusted her and I learned from her. And when she wasn't well, she slept in the tree on our sanctuary right next to her house. And eventually when the weather got very bad, she decided she was going back inside with the others. So when I was able to give up my control and my notion of humane and learn from her, her wisdom taught me something very precious, that she knew what she needed for her needs a lot better than I knew. Mm.
0: And she knew she was safe in the tree. That's actually happened to me when I was up in Northern Australia and um, all the chickens roosted in the trees and it's, you know, that's their natural behaviour. But it's really, (laughs) you don't expect it um, at all, having a tree full of chickens.
1: Yeah, we, I try to recreate an environment here specific for every species so that, you know, where the chickens and the birds are. I did my best to recreate that Southeast uh, Asian jungle. So, yeah, when the trees grew, which they did, and they're really after 10 years of running Eden, uh, it's really nice now. And So, of course, yeah, that's what they do. They Most of them now go up and sleep in the trees.
0: They can reconnect with being a jungle chicken. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned before the ASA, and that stands for Advertising Standards Authority. Um, Now, that was the specific billboard, which is um, titled Humane Milk is a Myth, Don't Buy It. Can you just fill us in with the background there? It was challenged um, by the dairy industry. And um, can you just give us a bit of the background information to that?
1: Okay, so the, f- the first thing was it was it was very like the billboards, but it was actually a full-page newspaper ad, and those that form of advertising is very good because you can fit more text. Um, on the page because people have more time to read it than they do when they're walking or driving past a billboard. So as well as Humane Milk is a Myth, Don't Buy It, it had a small synopsis of my experience of going vegan the day I visited a dairy and seeing the mothers who were still bloody from birth and their daughters who have been separated from them Crying in this this awful manner that I had seen, and drinking the milk from the rubber teats, and just as the simple statement that when I saw that I could no longer participate in it, and I asked the question, "Can you?" So the ad was objected to by uh, there were seven complaints, some of whom had a background of working in the dairy industry, and it was taken to the Advertising Standards Authority in the UK. On the uh, the accusations were that it was misleading and unsubstantiated, so basically, I substantiated every word of the ad. I clarified that the ad did not speak about breaches in welfare legislation, it addressed the concept of the injustice of animal use specifically within the, the dairy industry in this ad and So I substantiated it and proved that it wasn't misleading and the Advertising Standards Authority found in my favour. So Go Vegan World is now free to use that ad and the press actually picked it up and reported on it that we can now label milk inhumane. So it was a really very major finding in terms of animal rights. It's the first time I've ever seen the press report on the difference between animal rights violations and animal welfare. And it gave us a wonderful opportunity every time that was misunderstood to clarify it and to clarify that this campaign is not an anti-farmer or an anti-farming campaign and it's not addressed at farmers. The ads are very carefully chosen so that the Joe Soap on the street, the member of the public who I was a few years ago, sees the ads and are informed of What goes on behind closed doors to produce the products that we think are so-called humane and normal and nice and necessary and natural?
0: It's very rare to get that official validation. It's spoken about a lot within the vegan and animal rights communities about um, the breaches and the different terms that the industry use. But this must be a first for actually getting an official finding. It to is, it.
1: Yeah. And I think that's because you asked me earlier about my, my – um, how my background as a psychologist affects my education. And Go Vegan World and and Eden and all the work that we do here, they never speak about, we never speak about breaches in welfare legislation. Everybody knows that that's wrong. Everybody, even the the, the industry themselves know that that's wrong. What we don't realise is that it's unjust to use other animals on the basis that they're equally sentient, they, they have the capacity for physical and emotional feelings and they have the capacity to be aware of their lives and interested in their lives and in staying alive. That's what the general public needs to hear. And that's what Go Vegan World speaks about. And that's why we ask for complete cessation of animal use. And we present veganism in a very ordinary, natural, easy way so that it's attractive and not daunting to people. And we give them the practical steps to implement these changes in their lives. It's not rocket science, but it's very, very damaging when we ask for less than veganism. Because asking for less than veganism means presenting other animals as food. So if we ask for less animal use or meatless Mondays or whatever then we're still referring to other animals as food, and they're not food. They're equal earthlings, and that's the point that we have to get across. And when we get that point across, it cuts right to the core of the problem, which is speciesism, how we think and how we feel about other animals. What we need to change is not what's going into our our trolleys our supermarket trolleys what we need to change first is how we think and feel about them and once we've done that once it's the same with every aspect of of our behavior once we think and feel differently about something that affects our behavior but vegan education that addresses behavior without addressing these essential components underlying components of human behavior is doomed to disaster. And I could cry, I could cry when I think of the wasted resources in terms of the rights of other animals that are being spent on asking for something that is doomed to failure. Everything must come
0: This is Freedom of Species, 3CR's Animal Advocacy Program. That was Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with Everything Must Converge. You can subscribe to Freedom of Species via iTunes and we also have a website, freedomofspecies.org, with an archive of past shows. Today we're listening to an interview with psychologist Sandra Higgins. She's also the founder and director of Eden Farmed Animal Sanctuary and the woman behind Go Vegan World, a global vegan ad campaign, that uses a number of formats to get the message across, including digital screen advertising that is very effective when demonstrating sentience and emotions of animals. I asked Sandra about how this campaign, Go Vegan World,
1: came about. So the campaign started in Ireland in twenty fifteen, almost two years ago. Um It started because I was putting a lot of effort into the Vegan Education Centre here in Ireland, and I was giving what I felt were very good classes, uh, teaching and films and some practical help with uh, cleaning products and cosmetics and cooking and food samples and samples of books and all that kind of thing. I I thought it was a very good programme, but it was being attended by so few people, and Given what I learn here at the sanctuary and given what we're all exposed to in the animal rights movement in in terms of the great tragedy and the unbearable uh, violations that we put on other animals through, I literally couldn't sleep at night thinking, you know, what can I do that would be more effective? While for these short years that I have on this earth, what can I do to help more people to see the light and be vegan? So I remembered that Karen Davis in United Poultry Concerns in in the States had put an ad on a bus. So I said, well, you know, maybe I could do that here. So I did. And thankfully, I got the funding to do a campaign in Ireland. And it was a great success. It ran for three or four months because the ads got, uh, you know, they were just left in public long after I had paid for them it got a lot of media attention which was great because it meant the people in their cars and at homes and in their workplaces c- could hear veganism being spoken about and it hadn't been spoken about very widely in Ireland before And but most of all the public saw those ads and now a year or two years later people write to me and say I went vegan the day I saw your ad at a bus shelter or on a bus or I read an article in a magazine and uh, now I want I want to be more involved in animal rights activism myself. So that's for me. That's when I know the campaign is working as it should, when when it had that effect on somebody. So it it was so successful that I got the funding, and I'm eternally grateful to the people who believed in this work and had the faith in it to fund it and continue to fund it. Uh, so it it developed then. In June 2016, into an international campaign, and it moved to England. And there's also an online campaign that targets other countries. And we have plans to move to other countries. So the ads are in various formats. They range from buses, um, bathrooms, which are are very effective because there's a high dwell time and people have time to read more text. Uh, newspapers are the same. Uh, the, the video billboards, as you say, I think it's the first time they've ever been done anywhere and they look very spectacular. They're huge screens in very busy areas and they're, they're very colourful and eye-catching. So the images of the animals, because you know they are these wonderful, awe-inspiring beings, attract the eye. And then the text hits people with the, the truth. So there are messages like, they trust us, we butcher them. Um Eating eggs is not enough for him that shows a baby chick, so that they the text really brings home the truth of of the message and then people are directed to go vegan world and particularly to download the free vegan guide that explains uh, you know the reasons to be vegan and very simply how to be vegan very practical information like there 's a whole week of of uh, menu planning in there. Uh, so it yeah it's been a very successful campaign the website is still getting a lot of hits every week there's still a lot of vegan guides being downloaded and when the campaign is on the streets the interest in the website goes up a couple of thousand percent which is is what we want
0: so there're
1: strong messages
0: they're saying things like like us they want to stay alive like us they have children They trust us and we betray them. In the past, I feel like the message has been more appealing to people to care for animals. Like, you know, if you're a good person, Mm. you would care for animals. But this is really throwing the the focus at respect and about animal rights. So one is I guess I'm curious about why haven't we done this before? To me, it just seems so clear. And the other question—sorry to give you a double-barrel question—is, have you had any trouble getting them, people, to actually
1: um, the advertising agencies to run them? Why haven't we done it before? In all fairness, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Other people have done this before. Other people have very consistently spoken about this. one of the first times that I realised the difference between animal rights and animal welfare was when I was doing a transcript for a a chapter in a book and the author was, uh, sorry, the the transcript was Gary Francione. And that was when it it really gelled for me that animal welfare, because I used to say, oh, well, can we not do animal welfare and animal rights at the same time? And it really gelled for me when I listened to that, that animal welfare is actually damaging because it's just increasing animal use, making it more comfortable in the public mind and actually prolonging the issue. And I would also say that there are other, there are street activists all over the world. Uh, They might not have had the resources that I've I've been fortunate enough to get um, for Go Vegan World, but they are are preaching this message too. I think the difference is that the organisations who had the resources or, you know, they have a lot more resources than Go Vegan World they didn't do this. And it's a pity that they didn't do this. The reason I did it was that the campaign is guided and inspired by the residents at Eden. I I face them every day. And when I'm struggling with the campaign, I go out there and, and I, I I just sit with them. I think about their lives, what they've gone through and what they would have gone through if they hadn't been at Eden, how their lives would have been tortured and wiped out. And I see them doing what they do here, making making friends. Um, sometimes, you know, very unusual relationships will form, interspecies relationships, how they care for each other. I see them enjoying their lives, how they go about their daily business of eating washing drinking having dust baths I went out there this morning and normally the 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 pigs would be screaming for their breakfast but it was a so lovely warm sunny morning so George was pottering around and (laughs) Jeffrey was sunbathing inside his house on a bed of straw when you see that and you think what the alternative is when we use them then you have no option but to run a campaign like like I have
0: do you ever have difficulty getting advertising companies to run your ads?
1: So well, I have difficulty all the time. Some people are, some agencies are very sensible and they'll just say, well, can you substantiate this? And I substantiate it and that's it, the ad passes. Um, then other people refuse point blank. So it is effectively discrimination. It is in under uh, UK equality law under European legislation, it is discrimination not to publish an ad that can be substantiated and is the truth just because uh, the organisation asking you to publish the ad is vegan and the message in the ad is vegan. That is discrimination. Um, So, yeah, that, that happens all the time. It happened a lot more in Ireland than it did in the UK. So it's a difficulty because you go to a lot of trouble getting an ad designed, particularly those video ads, a huge amount, i put a huge amount of work in, into those because i design everything myself and i just get technical people to put the ad together for me and um, and then you find what, just before the campaign's due to launch that they refuse to take the ads. so it is it's an uphill battle but it, you see it we're not doing this for that long so veganism and vegan education it's really a pioneering movement so we just have to keep Keep fighting that battle. Keep reminding the agencies we're dealing with that this is factual, it's substantiated and it's discriminatory not to take the ads.
0: Could you use the finding from the advertising standards authority that decided in your favour to encourage advertising agencies to run Go Vegan World ads?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And actually, there, there's a pre-approval copy service that uh, that I that I will work with, and I'm working with them at the moment. So all I've I've a number of campaigns running at the moment. There's a, a very large billboard campaign in Scotland and the northeast of England. There's a nationwide bathroom campaign. Um, targeting the myth that animal use is necessary so it's just a very simple statement from the american academy and the national health service in england stating that a vegan diet is is more than adequate for humans Um, and i'll have a nationwide bus shelter campaign coming up in the next few weeks so all those ads have been pre-approved by the advertising standards authority do you
0: have any tips for people who do want to start running similar campaigns in australia
1: Yes. What I would say is that the ads are the tip of the iceberg. And I've explained this in great detail in the talk I gave at the Conscious Eating Conference in America last year. So if you Google Sandra Higgins Conscious Eating Conference, you can hear in very great detail the technical detail of how I've run this campaign. So please don't think that you can design an ad and put a billboard on on the street and that that's a campaign. That is not a campaign. 10 years of research have gone into Go Vegan World. It's very carefully designed with a a website, a a free vegan guide. A number of measures have been built into our ads so that we can qualitatively and quantitatively attempt to measure the success of the campaign. The history of the individuals at Eden That has very carefully been blended into this campaign and the ads are very, very carefully thought out. So you need to be very careful about where you place the ads so that you're attracting the maximum number of views. And that's not always in a busy urban area, but a lot of the time it is, but it's not always. Uh, you You can very selectively pick areas where people are more inclined to think about social justice issues and where this might have more of an impact or uh, sometimes the rural areas where animal use, particularly animal use, the use of other animals as food, is, is so acceptable. Um, the the colour of the ads, the colour of the text, the amount of text that's on the page, that all that all needs a lot of expertise. Go Vegan World can move to other countries and we can run the campaign uh, for you alongside local activists. As long as those activists are willing to train in our methods and as long as they already have a good grasp of the concept of the abolition and the complete cessation of animal use. And of course, if anybody wants to set up their own campaign campaign, to the best of my ability with the limited amount of time I have I'll I'll certainly advise you and I'm very happy if you learn from Go Vegan World but I would caution please don't take valuable resources write an ad that doesn't have a lot of thought put into it with the animals foremost in your mind and stick that ad on the street as and think that that's a campaign that's not a campaign We can link to that
0: presentation from our podcast page so we'll make sure that people have got access to that presentation. Um, Another presentation that I, um, well, we broadcast on Freedom of Species a few weeks ago is your presentation at the Irish Vegan Festival. Now, I'd like to follow up a few of the things in that talk that really resonated with me. One was um, you mentioned how Rather than researching vegan recipes, research about the philosophy underpinning veganism. That's probably the first step if you do want to try veganism.
1: Yes, it's, it's very important. Change doesn't happen at the le- level of behaviour. So it, let's say somebody wants to uh, give up smoking or they, they want to lose weight or they want to change. They have a violent way of relating with their partner and they want to change Change doesn't happen at the last stage of behavioural change. Change happens at the level of your heart and your mind. When you start to think about something differently and when you start to feel about it in a different way. So I used to be a heavy smoker and I became very ill a few years ago. And I actually thought I was going to die. So I started to think in a different way about the cigarettes I was smoking. And I started to feel in a different way about the body that I was depending on to, for the rest of my life. And that's where the change happened. The cha- The final change of no longer smoking was, was last, on, that was last on my list. And it would never have succeeded if I hadn't first thought about and felt in a different way about smoking. It's the same with any behavioural change. So, if somebody is interested in the philosophy of animal rights, great, go out and read the great writers, Tom Reagan, Gary Francione, Joan Denair, read about that. But at a more simple level, I would encourage people to think, look at other animals and think about them, um, watch videos, think about the any animals that you have in your life, a dog or a cat or a horse, and learn about animal sentience. Think about the fact that other animals have this same capacity to feel that we as humans have, and that when we use them, we harm them. Using them is unnecessary. Once people have that in their hearts and in their minds, then the behavioural change is very easy, never easier than now, because everywhere you look, there are vegan recipes, there are new vegan products on the market, and there are thousands. Of vegans telling you about them, so you won't be short of help on the practical changes. Mm -hmm. Where you will be short of help is this thinking and feeling about other animals. So that's Go Vegan World's work, and that's the work of Eden is to encourage people to start thinking at these early stages, these crucial, important underpinnings of the animal rights movement, which is how we as humans engage with other earthlings.
0: The other thing in the talk which really struck me um, was you were quite strong about we've got to check our motivations for activism and Mm. we need to ask ourselves is it for the animals? Is it for
1: the animals or is it for our own personal satisfaction? Mm. Mm. That's very important. I suppose I'm lucky because my clinical training encourages me to do this all the time. Um, So every step, that I take in the development of Eden, with Go Vegan World, with any of the vegan education I do, I always check what my goal is. And if my goal is not to to help non-vegans to go vegan or to help other activists to learn a way of activism that I feel is, is more successful than what they might currently be doing, then forget it then I, I don't have to go and invest my resources and my energy there. I would also also caution because I, I work with activists in this movement who are suffering because of their activism. In order to be of help for to other animals, you have to stay okay yourself. You have to be able to withstand this in the long term. And it's very difficult. It's I've worked in trauma all of my career. And this is one of the most difficult things that I've worked in. And you cannot immerse yourself in their hell all the time and continue to be an effective activist. You have to pull yourself out of that and you have to think about human psychology. What motivates people? What moves them? What makes them change? What helped me to go vegan? What could I have done with more of? Uh, Is there something I can do about my attitude that makes me more um, approachable by non-vegans? Think about these other vital forms of your activism rather than immersing yourself in absolute psychological hell and torture or or else you will burn out and you won't be an effective activist. And I'm, so I'm very concerned about people who are burning out very early in their activist careers or their activist lives because they're overexposing themselves to to what's going on at the coalface of the slaughterhouses, or they're immersing themselves in the in the in the dreadful out and out abuse that we see, not just the standard farming, but the terrible cruelty that that we see perpetrated on other animals. So I would encourage people to. Sometimes I think people are motivated to stay at that very painful side of, of animal rights violations because they have have some history of trauma in their own lives and they can somehow relate to the trauma of other animals and get some comfort from it and get some catharsis if they're in a group where they can uh, cry and, and vent about this to get, uh, together. So there's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of anger Um, in in this form of activism and it's a chance for people to express those emotions and that is not healthy you need to get yourself some kind of help self-help or professional help if you have a problem and sort out your own problems and then become an activist when you're when you're psychologically strong and healthy and able to help the animals
0: when I watched the video of your um, presentation at the Irish Vegan Festival, there was minimal um, of animal suffering footage. There was minimal. It was just very pertinent. But I felt like the reason for that was the fact that you're saying we're not talking about welfare. So we're not, mm. we don't need to see video after video about the welfare of the animals. We're talking about the rights of
1: animals. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the, the standard practice that I show in, in my talks and on my website as part of the campaign is bad enough. That is bad enough. I, I get animals coming in here who've lived in people's backyards where they think this is the most humane situation possible or they come in here from free range farms and they are a disgrace. An absolute disgrace. Our use of other animals is a disgrace. We don't ever have to show something like somebody kicking them in the face or beating them or torturing them. It's just what we do to them is bad enough. Bringing them to the slaughterhouse, ending their lives, even... I think, that, I think I think I went back and I talked earlier about that transcript that I did years it's years ago, it's about eight years ago, the, the transcript of Gary Francione's uh, chapter where he said, even if we, if we came into them when they were asleep, so they weren't aware of us, and we gave them a lethal injection so they didn't experience any pain or any fear, you have taken somebody else's life unnecessarily, and that's wrong. That's unnecessary and that's wrong. So we shouldn't have to see the depravity of our relations with other animals to know that using them is wrong. And we also need to see them in the light that I, I that I show them because I have the benefit of knowing them here at Eden. We need to see them as our sentient equals and respect them.
0: I've seen you go head to head with dairy industry representatives um, and it seems like they just not prepared for the animal rights argument. They're so used to arguing from an animal welfare perspective. Where do you think these debates, arguing from an animal rights perspective, will lead us,
1: say, in five years' time? Well, I really hope, I really hope in five years' time that there'll be a farmer on the radio who has joined forces with me and said, I realised that what we were doing was wrong. I didn't want to do it anyway. I've transitioned. I'm now um, a veganic farmer or I have forestry or I'm growing hemp. Encouraging other farmers out there to do the same. Mm -hmm. Encouraging the government to help with money, to help farmers to transition. Because of course on the radio you get the representatives who are frightened by what I'm doing in Go Vegan World because they feel that their income is threatened. So they very soon learn to feel, you know, when when, you're, when your very life and your livelihood and your needs are threatened, it's not nice. What we do to other animals is not nice when the tables are turned and someone is doing it to you. But what they don't see is that Go Vegan World is not about the end of farming. It's the end of animal agriculture as we know it. But it's the beginning of sustainable farming where farmers could do a job where they could hold their head up. Where, I mean, I've had farmers in our kitchen In tears talking about the the day the slaughterhouse truck comes and they very often put a distance between themselves and, and, and the slaughter process by sending the animals to a mart where somebody else buys them and that somebody else brings them to the slaughterhouse. They don't like what they do. Most of them don't like what they what they do. Uh, they're not comfortable with it. They, they know it's wrong. And especially when the intersectional points are brought in about it being so unsustainable and so environmentally unfriendly and not very good for our health. Uh, a lot of them do understand the arguments for veganism. Uh, I've, I, I, we, we have a friend here who, who has given us some of the pigs who live on this sanctuary. And he, he said to me, the more I listen to you, the more I think that veganism is right and animal agriculture is wrong. So they're they're just ordinary people like you and I, but most of them have been reared as sons of farmers or daughters of farmers. They're doing what they always did. This is the only way they know how to make a living. And they're not the people to target. The people to target are the people on the street who are paying for the products that keep the farmers in business. The farmers are only doing what everybody else, every non-vegan is paying them to do and they need to be encouraged to transition to a new way of life. So hopefully the days of of the arguments on on radio and the farmers being so defensive in a nonsensical way, defensive against um, their own well-being and their own future and their children's future, hopefully that day will soon end.
0: I'd just like to finish up with my favourite quote of yours, and that's, you can be vegan or you can be violent. You can't be both.
1: I thought, yes, yeah, yeah. I think I used that at the, at the Belfast talk. Yeah, I ser- that's, I've certainly learned that from the animals here. If you're, if you're not vegan, what you're doing is, is violent and there are no two ways about that. Thank you so much for your time, Sandra. Thank you very much for having me, Kate.
0: Call us on nine four one nine eight three double seven, or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Today's interview on Freedom of Species was with Sandra Higgins, an animal advocate from Ireland. The podcast of the show will be posted on the Freedom of Species and 3CR websites and we'll also include links to some of Sandra's talks, including the Conscious Eating Conference and also the Irish Vegan Festival, uh, the presentations that Sandra did at those events, as well as links to Go Vegan World campaign, Eden Farms Animal Sanctuary and Matilda's Promise. So that's it for the show today. Sandra's work does remind me of a statement that the writer Alice Walker made in her foreword to The Dreaded Comparison, which was a book Marjorie Spiegel wrote, uh, comparing human and animal slavery and discrimination. Alice Walker wrote in the foreword to that book, The animals of the world exist for their own reasons. They are not made for humans any more than black people were made for whites or women for men. So that's something to ponder While you enjoy the rest of your Sunday afternoon Make sure you keep tuned to 3CR And I'll leave you with another Nick Cave tune uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds This is There Goes, There She Goes My Beautiful World Go Vegan World
1: The winter cream the juniper, the and the chicory. Well, all of the words you said to me are still vibrating in my
0: head. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.